Today on Awaken to Grace, we come to the conclusion of what has been a great sermon series called Behold, a Study of Angels. We are walking through the birth of Christ and how angels were so prevalent throughout his entire birth. In week one, we studied the story of Zechariah, and we saw the doubt and the unbelief that was in his heart when the angel Gabriel announced to him the birth of his son. And then in week two, we saw the Virgin Mary and how Gabriel announced to her the birth of Jesus. And while Zechariah had doubt and unbelief, Mary, even though she had questions, she had trust and faith. And then in part three, we saw the life of Joseph, her husband, and we saw the fear, but yet the obedience, when the angel of the Lord slipped right into his dream and told him of the birth of Jesus. Well, today we're going to come to the conclusion of this series, and we are going to find ourselves in Luke chapter 2 in the very fields where the shepherds were keeping watch over their flocks by night. And what appeared to them? The angel of the Lord, along with that great heavenly host of angels. And we're going to study it today. I'm so glad you're listening. I hope that you'll let us know if today's sermon speaks into your life, into your heart. I hope that you'll download our free mobile app, Awakened to Grace. Let's go to God's Word together, Luke chapter 2. As we go to Luke chapter number 2, we are concluding a series called Behold, a Study of Angels. When we began to craft this series and began to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to lead us in what we should share, I had no idea how the Lord was connecting all of the dots. All I knew is that I felt very drawn to the study of angels here at the end of the year. And I knew that there was a 400-year gap between the closing of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. There's a 400-year gap that God did not speak a word to humanity. There were no revelations. There were no angelic visits. There were no scriptures, no prophets, no words from the Lord. It was silence from heaven for 400 years. Years And then when the due time came, when the time for Christ to be born arrived, God broke the 400 years of silence. And you know how he did it? Through angels. And I knew that I wanted to walk through some experiences of angels. We wanted to call this, Behold, a study of angels. And angels were so prevalent through the birth of Christ that I thought, well, all right, Lord, I believe you're leading us to study angels through your birth. Throughout this series, we've learned a great deal about angels. We've seen how there are 234 references to good angels in the Bible. We've seen how there's 278 references to God as the Lord of hosts, which is the angelic armies of heaven. 
Over 500 references to angels in the Bible, but yet there is not one section, there's not a chunk of scripture, there's not a chapter solely dedicated just to the study of angels. In other words, angels are not hyper-presented in the Bible. And why is that? We've said throughout the series that angels, when it comes to the order of God, when it comes to the creation of God, when it comes to God's kingdom, angels are quite commonplace. And so how should you and I view angels as Christ's followers? I'm convinced through the scriptures, you and I should view angels as simply commonplace. We should not be so intrigued, so fascinated that we desire to worship angels or pray to an angel? You and I, listen, to pray to an angel is forbidden by the scriptures? No. They're just part of God's order. And as we walk through the pages of the Bible, from Revelation in the Garden of Eden to the final chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, angels are throughout the entirety of the scriptures, Throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, they are all over the Bible. It's just commonplace. And, you know, I think angels are commonplace in our life. The Bible says that you and I may entertain angels unaware. I believe today that just as Hebrews 1.14 teaches angels are spiritual beings... They are, are they not all ministering spirits? Hebrews 1.14 says, sent out from God to those who will inherit eternal life. Angels come into our life on mission from God. And whether we ever see them or we don't, whether we ever interact with them or not, no, they come on purpose, on mission from God. And sometimes they will intervene. Sometimes they will protect. Sometimes they will rescue. They come on mission from God. But you and I are not to be so fascinated that it captures our attention. No, our attention is on the lordship of Jesus Christ, that and that alone. And the Bible would guide us not to seek angels or to seek visitations from angels, but to seek the precious Holy Spirit that resides within us. So yes, there is a great balance to the Christian life. Angels are very real. To believe the Bible is to believe in angels. That we are not to seek it. We are to seek the Holy Spirit. So in our study, we began in Luke chapter 1. And we saw Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. They were of old age and barren. They never had children, although they had prayed for children. And we see that while Zechariah in Luke 1 was performing his duties in the temple, Gabriel, the angel of the Lord, for the first time in 400 years, breaks the silence of God, appears before Zechariah, and announces to him, you and Elizabeth are going to have a child. And what was the response of Zechariah that we studied? Unbelief. He did not believe the words of the angel. And so in that first sermon, we saw that someone like Zechariah can be righteous, can be blameless before God. Someone can be born again, walking with God. 
and yet allow unbelief and doubt in their heart, just like Zechariah did. In that first week, we talked about how do you detect unbelief and how do you remove it? <coughs> in week two, we stayed in Luke chapter one and we visited with Gabriel six months later, the Virgin Mary. And we saw that when Gabriel appeared before Mary and said, Mary, you have had great favor with God. You are going to bear a son. You're going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit and bear a son, and you're going to call him Jesus. You know what we saw? We saw that Mary didn't have all the answers, did she? <laughs> she said, how can this be since I am a virgin? And while Mary didn't have all the answers, while she didn't have any of the solution, she, what she did have is she had trust and she had faith in God. And here was her relatives, Elizabeth and Zechariah, who were much older than her. And here Zechariah, who was much more older than her, did not have faith. And here's the young teenage Mary who did have faith. And even though she didn't have all the answers, she believed God, she took him at his word. And there we saw that you and I can have faith even though we don't have all the answers in life. We may not know how God's going to work it out or when God's going to work it out. We may not know the details of how God's going to move on our behalf. But here's what we can do. We can take hold of the promises of God for they are yes and amen through Jesus Christ. And then last week we went to Matthew chapter 1 and we studied Joseph. We saw how Joseph, in all of his excitement, he was betrothed to the prettiest girl in Nazareth, we said, Mary. And then Mary comes to him and says, Joseph, I'm pregnant. And we saw last week how Joseph didn't believe a word of it. Matter of fact, he resolved to divorce her quietly. And you know what the angel of the Lord did? The angel didn't appear to Joseph as he did Zechariah and as he did Mary. The angel of the Lord slipped right into Joseph's dream. And he said, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. And last week... Whereas we've seen the doubt and unbelief of Zechariah and as we've seen the trust and the faith of Mary last week, what we learned about Joseph is obedience. He obeyed God. And we talked about times that God will change the plans of our life. Times that God alters the plans of our life. And life doesn't work out the way we thought it was going to work out. It doesn't work out the way that we had planned for it too. You and I can step in to obedience even when God changes course. So that's where we've been through our study. We talked about how Zechariah was a Christmas full of doubt. Mary was a Christmas full of faith. Joseph was a Christmas full of obedience. Today I want to talk about what happens the day after Christmas. Go to Luke chapter 2 with me. Today I want us to look at the shepherds who were in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night. Luke chapter 2, verse number 8. We're going to work our way, Lord willing, from verse number 8 to verse 20. Follow along with me. And in that same region, there were shepherds keeping watch over their flocks 
by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them Let me, I don't want to go any further because I don't want to miss my, remember, everything's locked up in the vault. Pray I can find the right combinations and don't, not miss it. <laughs> Let's look at verse number eight for just a moment. In that same region, shepherds were keeping watch over their flocks by night. I love that verse. Do you know why? Because shepherds were the lowliest occupation in all of Israel. When it comes to the social ladder, they were the bottom rung. They were the lowest on the social economic ladder. And listen, if you were God and you were going to announce with a host of angels, by the way, with what I think were thousands upon thousands of angels in the heavenlies, saying glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those who God is pleased. If you were going to do that, who would you announce it to? Would you have taken the lowliest occupation? Would you have taken the lowliest people? No, I probably would have announced it to the Roman authorities. I probably would have went to the palaces of Jerusalem or maybe to the Sadducees or the priest or the scribes or the Pharisees. I would have went to people of great stature and great importance. But you know what? God didn't go to the high and mighty, did he? You know who he went to? The humble shepherds. He went to the most lowly. Isn't that fascinating? And I love that the shepherds, listen, they were clocked in this night. <laughs> they were on the graveyard shift. They were keeping watch over their flocks by night. You know why they're keeping watch? Cause of predators. You know, what, you, know, you know what's fascinating about sheep? When you really do, when you really do a, a study of Psalm 23 and you really understand from a perspective of shepherd and sheep, you know what? Sheep get really dirty. You know that? Shepherds have to constantly check them for burrs and manure and mud caked into their wool. Sheep get really dirty. You picture them, you know, just white and fluffy and cute. And No, they're filthy. <laughs> you know what? Sheep are really dumb. Did you know that? No, I mean, they're real dumb. Do you know that a sheep can't drink out of running water, out of a fast-flowing creek? See, that's why David said that the Lord leads us beside still water. You know what a sheep will do if it tries to drink out of a fast-moving creek? It'll fall in, and its wool gets soaked, and it will drown. Sheep are dumb. Do you know that sheep are defenseless? Do you know that they have no defenses whatsoever? They cannot protect themselves from any type of predator. And sheep are completely dependent. They must have a shepherd to survive. So let me give you some encouraging news today. You know what God calls us? Sheep. We're dirty. We're dumb. We're defenseless. And we're dependent. There's an encouraging word for you. (laughs) Call somebody up and say, you know what? You're dirty, dumb, defenseless, and dependent. But good news, you got a shepherd. (laughs) And here these shepherds are. Listen, there's no glamour. There's no fame. There's no popularity. There's no money. It's the lowliest occupation. But yet God breaks his silence. 
to shepherds, keeping watch. I mean the graveyard shift. And here they are clocked in working. And they're keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel appears to them. Verse number nine. And says, help me out. Somebody, I'm second guessing myself. Someone tell me what it says. Ah, wait, tell me again. What? Glory to the Lord and what? Oh, see, I'm wanting to get to, he, for unto you is born this day in the city of day. That's the next verse, right? And the glory of God shone about them. If you're going to take notes today, I want to break this section of Scripture down into three simple points. Number one, I want us to note that Jesus is worthy of our wonder. Jesus is worthy of our wonder. When the glory of God shone about them, can you imagine what went through the minds of these shepherds? Can you imagine what they saw, what they heard, what they experienced? And I want to show you at the end of our text today what that wonder created in them. And what did the angel say to them? Verse number 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now, this is very significant. Bethlehem, it was prophesied that Bethlehem is where the Messiah would be born. What do we know from verse 1 of chapter 2? God used that godless man, Caesar Augustus, to call for a registration that took Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. <coughs> Why? So that prophecy would be fulfilled. And what was Bethlehem? See, Christ says of himself that he is the bread of life. And what does Bethlehem mean? It is the city of David. It's where David was born. It's where he's from. And what does the word Bethlehem mean? It means house of bread. Isn't it fascinating that Christ, the bread of life, was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. And not a one of it was a mistake. Not one detail was left undone in the plan of God. See, you and I look at Mary and Joseph and there was no room in the end. And here Jesus is born in a manger, in a stable, essentially a cave. Here he's born around smelly animals. You know, we, we think of the smiling donkeys looking. No, no, this was a damp and probably a filthy and a dirty cave, a stable, a manger. But you know what? Every detail mattered. And the glory of God was all over it. And so they tell him, he's going to be born in the city of David. A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Verses 14 and 15, we see that there was not only just one angel, but suddenly a multitude appeared, saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace with those who the Lord is pleased with. That just stopped me in my tracks. Peace with those who God is pleased with. You know, more than I want anything in life, I want God to be pleased with me. More than I want you to like me. More than I want people to approve of me. More than I want people to applaud the things that I do. No, 
I want God to be pleased with me. Uh, my aim in life is to please the Lord. Is that your aim in life? Because you know what the Bible says? <laughs> the Bible says that those who God is pleased with, there's going to be peace in their lives. Peace that passes all understanding. And this night, when the angels of God make this great announcement from verse 10 to verse 15, when they announce that in, in the city of David is born a Savior, do you, know what the, do you know what the foundation of their announcement is? The angel calls it this. It's good news of great joy. See, is there joy in your life today over the good news of the gospel? The gospel literally means good news. Do you live your life joyfully over the good news of the gospel? Do you share good news with those who are around you? Those who you have influence with? Those who you can speak directly into their life? Is the joy of the Lord marking your life? Is the peace of God marking your life? That's what others should see in us. And if you're someone today that you, you want to share the good news of Jesus, well, let us be careful how we do that. Because you know what people need to see before they can really see the good news? You know what they need to see first? The bad news of sin, the calamity of sin. My friend David Wright is with me today, and he's walking me up and down from the platform because we don't want to, I don't want to fall and we have a healing service today because I fell. So he is guiding and helping me. If David came up to me and said, Chad, I have great news. I paid your Mercedes fine. You're welcome. Well, what's going to be my response? Paid my fine. What fine? What have I done? It's offensive to me. Paid what? See what I'm saying? But if David came up to me and said, Chad, I have good news today. You and Sadie are not aware of this, but you and Sadie were caught speeding through a school zone. And there's a big fine being mailed to you. And I found out about it. And I paid it on your behalf. Then what am I going to say? I'm going to say, thank you so much. I know Sadie's a terrible driver, but my goodness... Thank you, David. You see how I'm going to receive that news differently? When I first hear and understand the bad, then I can hear and understand the good. See, we preach the gospel to a lost world, and so many are saying, gospel, good news of what? What have I done? I'm not that bad. I'm a good person. I'm kind to people. My intentions are great. Why wouldn't God love me? No. Friends, we must preach the full gospel so people may receive the full gospel. Amen? What do the angels proclaim? They say, listen, don't fear. I believe that's verse 10. You know, isn't it interesting that when Zechariah appeared before, uh, when, when Gabriel appeared before Zechariah, he says, don't be afraid. When he appears before Mary, he says, don't be afraid. When he appears before Joseph in the dream, he said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. <clears throat> and now when the angel of the Lord appears before the shepherds, he says, don't fear. 
I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all peoples. Amen. And today, if you're listening, if you're in the building, if you're watching online, if you're listening on a platform, let me tell you, this good news is for you. This joy is for you. Christ came to redeem you. And this joy can be yours in abundance. Now, the angels are going to make this great announcement, verses 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. And they're going to say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace toward those who God is pleased with. And then when the angels go back up into heaven, I want you to note what the shepherds do next. Verse number 16. In verse 15, they look at each other. I'm sure they're saying, did you see what I just saw? Can you believe this? <laughs> and in verse 16, I want you to notice what they do. With haste, they went to Bethlehem. You know, there's a principle here. Now, remember, they have responsibilities. They're clocked in. They're working graveyard. They're, they're, they're not just hanging out leisurely. They're on the clock. And what do they do? They say, no, our priorities have changed. We have got to go now with haste. They go to Bethlehem to worship the Savior. Isn't that fascinating? Listen, friends, there's a principle here. Are you quick to obey the voice of God? Has God put something in your heart today? Has God told you to do something today that you're waiting for a better time in life? You're waiting for a better season. You're waiting till you have more money. You're waiting till you have everything figured out. Or are you quick to obey the voice of God? These shepherds didn't let any grass grow underneath their feet. They quickly responded to God. Let me tell you, there is an urgency to their obedience. Is there an urgency to your life? Has God told you to do something that you've had it on the back burner and you're waiting for a more convenient time? No, my friends. If you're going to take notes today, I want you to note this. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Don't delay in what the Lord has asked you to do. Be swift, be quick to always obey God. There's a verse, I didn't lock it in my vault, I apologize. There's a verse in Proverbs, and you can Google it and quickly find it. There's a verse in Proverbs that God says, I want to guide you with my eye. Oh, what a great concept. I want to guide you with my eye. Anybody remember that look that mama could give you when you were little? And you know what the proverb says? Don't be like the horse who has to have a bit put in its mouth. And don't be like the mule who's stubborn. You know what that verse is saying? Don't be like the horse that as soon as God puts something in your heart, you go ahead of God and God's having to go, whoa, 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 whoa. But don't be like the mule that you're so stubborn you won't do what God says. Then, Chad, what's the balance? The balance is God says, I want to guide you with my eye. I want to be close enough to the Lord that he can look at me in a certain way and it changes my behavior. See what I'm saying? 
I want to be quick to obey God. I want to be swift. I don't want God. I don't want to be like the mule or I don't want to outpace him like the horse. In other words, I don't want to delay what I know God is saying to me. When I started this church at the age of 20, I was 19 turning 20. I didn't have a family. I wasn't married, didn't have children. I told God, I said, God, this is absurd. I said, I can't preach on marriage. I can't preach on parenting. Families aren't going to come. I'm a single guy. I said, God, I'm too young. I don't have the experience. I I said, God, nobody's going to come. And turns out I was right about that for quite a few years. But you know what? The Lord brought me to a place where I knew that if I didn't step out in faith and if I didn't obey God, it was going to be counted as disobedience. See, I didn't have all the answers. I didn't know how things were going to pan out. I had no idea. But we walked by faith. And not by sight. Amen. And praise God that God had me in that school of faith all those years. Not knowing that one day I would literally physically lose eyesight. And you know why I'm so comfortable in my own skin today? Because I learned how to walk by faith. And not by sight. Amen. Delayed obedience. Is disobedience. Verse 16, be swift to obey God. Now, look at verses 17 and 18 with me. If we see that Jesus is worthy of our wonder, I want you to look and see what the shepherds did. They went with haste to Bethlehem. And when they went to Bethlehem, you know what they did? They told everybody. They told everyone what happened. And the scriptures say that everyone who heard it wondered. It brought amazement. It blew people away. You know what? If Jesus is worthy of our wonder, listen, he's worthy of our witness. These shepherds became great witnesses of Jesus Christ. And let me share with you, my friends, if you and I are called to do anything, You may be here today and you say, I have no clue what God wants me to do. Let me tell you your chief responsibility. You are to be a witness for Jesus. That is first and foremost. And let me tell you in today's modern church, in today with all of our slick technology, let me just remind you of something. God does not anoint machinery. God doesn't anoint software. God doesn't anoint the internet. God doesn't anoint computers. God doesn't anoint all of the things that we have to have to do church. No, you know what God anoints? Men and women. That and nothing more. God places his hand on people. And you know what God promises in Acts chapter 1 verse 8? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, God will give you power to be his witnesses. Amen. Amen. And let me tell you, in our culture today, we have become a very private people. You want proof of it? Look at houses built in the last 30 years. Front porches are getting smaller 
and back decks are getting larger. You know why? Because we love our privacy. I'll be honest, I love my privacy. And I battle that. Sadie's family came over yesterday for Christmas. Do you know how long they stayed? Almost 11 hours. But I told Sadie, I said, hey, I know it's not like you get to see them all the time. Just two or three, four days a week. But anyways. (laughs) I'm so private. Sadie and I are total opposites. Don't opposites attract. I can go to your house and I'm not comfortable the whole time I'm there. And someone can be at my house and I'm not comfortable an inch. Sadie can take her shoes off and go right to sleep on your couch. And it doesn't bother her one inch. She can stay anywhere. I can't. I'm so private. Now, that's silly when I think about company and people. But you know what I battle more than anything? Is being private with my faith. Times that we discipline our kids, just four or five times a day. No, I'm kidding. It's not that bad, but close. <laughs> times, that, times that we discipline the kids. So often I'll pray with them. But you know, that don't come automatic. I have to tell myself, Chad, sit down and pray with them. I'm very private. I'm extremely private. Even sometimes at home. But see, here's what I want you to see. God has not called us to be private with our faith. These shepherds were public witnesses. And if you want the power of God in your life, if you want the power of the Holy Spirit upon you, begin to share your testimony. Begin to share your faith. Begin to talk about Christ. And you'll find that the power of God will anoint you to do it. Today, I'm very excited because if you go to our website, preachingchristchurch.com, today we roll out a brand new campaign. Through the month of January, we'll be teaching in our Tuesday night prayer meetings on the roads of the Bible. We're going to talk about the road to Damascus and how it was salvation. We're going to talk about blind Bartimaeus having his eyes opened on the road to Jericho. We're going to talk about the road to Gaza where Philip was with the Ethiopian eunuch. We're going to talk about Emmaus and the two disciples with Christ, how their hearts burned within them. We're going to look at the roads of the Bible and the salvations and the miracles and the healings and the discipleship that took place on those roads. And we're going to do a teaching called, This is My Story, The Road to Christ. (laughs) I can't wait. And what I want to do is we want to help you craft your testimony. We want to help you tell your story. And do you know how you do it? It's very simple. On our website, there is a form and it has three simple questions for you to share your story. Number one, who I was before Jesus. I want you to try to articulate who were you before Christ changed you? What kind of person were you before Jesus came into your life? Number two, how I met Jesus. 
who I was before Jesus and how I met Jesus. How did you come to faith? And number three, who I am after experiencing Jesus. What's been the life change? And see, here's the thing. We've limited those three questions. We've limited it to only 300 words. You know why? Because when it comes to your story, you don't need a novel. You don't need a lengthy story. Let me tell you, the Apostle Paul, you know his story, right? The road to Damascus, the blinding light. Who in human history has a more compelling salvation story than the great Apostle Paul? And you know, Paul told his story twice in the book of Acts. And you know what? Twice in the book of Acts, verbatim, word for word, if you read his story out loud, word for word, it'll take you two minutes. <laughs> if the greatest testimony of human history is only two minutes, yours don't need to be above two minutes. You can drill it down. You can get concise. You can be succinct. You know why? Come on, say amen if you're with me right now. Because the power of God is not in your story or my story. The power is in the gospel of Jesus. So we don't need to know what happened when you were five and then when you turned 12 and then when you turned 17 and when you got to 22 and 28 and 35 and 51. No, be succinct. Tell the gospel in your own life because that's what God anoints. And if we would learn how to share our story of the gospel, let me tell you, the Bible promises he's going to empower you to be his witnesses. Friends, today Jesus is worthy of our wonder. We should be in awe at the glory of God. We should be in awe at the good news of great joy. We should be in awe at the precision of Christ's birth and life and death and burial and resurrection. Oh, we ought to be staggered and in awe of such a story. To the point that it leads us to be his witnesses. Everywhere that we go. Now, verse 19. Verse 19 is a fascinating verse to me. If you were with us Friday night for our Christmas Eve service, we talked about the Magi or the wise men coming from the far east to Jerusalem. And you remember, now this is really fascinating. They come to King Herod first. Herod is furious that a king of the Jews is born. And King Herod calls for the scribes and the priests and says, tell us where the Christ will be born. And you know what's so fascinating to me? He, they quote to King Herod, Micah 5 verse 2. Bethlehem, you little town. Out of you is going to come the Savior, the shepherd of God's people. Can, can I just, this blew my mind. Can I tell you, Bethlehem is only five miles from Jerusalem. The priests and the scribes, they knew the word of God. They knew where the Christ would be born. And here they are, five miles from Jerusalem, and they wouldn't even take the time to go see him, let alone worship him. 
Now, here's my point. Scholars believe the shepherds went as soon as Christ was born, but not the wise men. We see that in our little nativity scenes, but no. Scholars believe that Christ would have been two, at least one to two years old when the wise men came. And what gifts did the wise men bring? Do you remember? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. People assume that there were three wise men because there were three gifts, but we don't know. There could have been 20. I personally think it was a large caravan because they stirred up all Jerusalem is what the scripture says. And so gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And see, we know that Joseph and Mary were very poor. How do we know this? Number one, they were from Nazareth. Nazareth was a little village, about 200 people, about 200 extended families. Nothing impressive. And we know that they were poor because in the law, when they went to make sacrifice after Jesus was born, the law, you should have used some type of livestock, a lamb or something like that. But do you know what God made a provision for in the law? Is for people who were very poor, they could sacrifice birds, pigeons or doves. And Joseph and Mary sacrificed pigeons. What does that tell us? They were very poor economically. They didn't have much. And here the wise men brought them gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But you know what? The Bible never records Mary's reaction to that. But watch what it does record in Luke 2 verse 19. When the shepherds came and they told everything that happened. You know what Mary did? Verse 19. She treasured these things up and pondered them in her heart. Now, can you imagine being the young Mary and her husband, Joseph? Here, they left Nazareth to go to Bethlehem. They must have been late getting there. I can hear Joseph, Mary, we have got to go. (laughs) And here they're late and there's no room for them in the inn. And they who are entrusted after thousands of years of prophecies, they are the ones entrusted to bring God's son into the world and they can't even do that right. They're in a cave, in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. She didn't give birth in a Hilton bed hotel. (laughs) She gave birth in a cave, in a smelly stable full of animals. They must have felt like the world's greatest losers. But no. The shepherds, these lowly men, come and they say, no, the angelic host told us exactly where to come. They said you would be in a manger, that he'd be wrapped in swallowing clothes. You know what I believe that said to Mary? I think it said you are in the center of God's will. Maybe today you feel like you've blown it. Perhaps today you feel like you are a failure in life. Perhaps today you feel like you have bobbled and fumbled and dropped whatever God had entrusted you with. My friend, could it be that in reality you're in the middle of God's will and don't know it? Could it be that in reality God, just as he unfolded the plans of Christ's birth, God is unfolding the plans of your life? And you may not have every answer. You may not have every solution. But you can have faith and you can have obedience today. Lastly, verse number 20. 
if Jesus is worthy of our wonder, if Jesus is worthy of our witness. Lastly today, Jesus is worthy of our worship. I want you to look at the day after Christmas. You know what happened the day after? The Bible says, verse 20, these shepherds went away glorifying God and rejoicing greatly. Why? Because they had encountered the person of Jesus and the presence of Jesus. Friends, let me tell you something. When you encounter the real and the authentic Jesus, it will create worship in your life. When you're in awe of salvation, when you're in awe of redemption, when you're in awe of the amazing grace of God, you'll have wonder, you'll become a witness. And best of all, you'll begin to worship Jesus. What's in your life today? Is it simply religion? Would you be like the scribes and the priests? You know about God. You're familiar with the things of God? Or are you like the shepherds? Have you encountered God? Have you encountered Jesus? I'm going to ask us to stand today with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I don't know your life today. I don't know where you are with the Lord. But I know this. I want to grow in my wonder of Jesus. I never want to get used to God's grace. I never want to get used to the family of God. I never want to get mechanical with God. I never want to become routine with Him. I want to leave today in wonder of God. I want to be a witness of Jesus. I want to tell, not... Not necessarily my life, but of his grace in my life. I want to tell the good news of great joy. I want to be passionate about the good news. Thank you so much for listening to our broadcast today. I did want to take just a moment and mention our store. If you go to our website, awakenedtograce.com, just navigate to the store page and you're going to find music by all of our Awakened artists and plenty of books by Pastor Chad. Also, while you're on the website, you can view Pastor Chad's story about his blindness and what the Lord is doing through him through Awakened to Grace and through our church, Preaching Christ Church. Thank you so much for joining us today on Awakened to Grace.